You're listening to Historically Speaking with Alyssa Gray Titer, a podcast about <laughs> whatever I want. I'm talking about the stories of our past and how they shape our present narratives. My stories, my way. It's her story in the making. What up, peeps? This is Alyssa, and I am here with my first episode of Historically Speaking. I am super excited to bring you this podcast. And truthfully, I had this whole kind of Emancipation Day uh, podcast ready to launch for today. And then I thought to myself, some people don't even know who I am. So... I think we need to backtrack a little bit, set the scene for those of you who are new, and then kind of take it from there. Um, Also, I don't think I was adequately prepared to kind of take on, you know, hosting this by myself. I'm so used to having Andre with me. Um, For those of you who don't know, Andre is my teaching partner and also the co-host of our joint podcast, uh, Teachers Like Us. So go check that out if you haven't already. and yes, I've done a couple of episodes on my own, but truthfully, truthfully, they were super boring and I had to do them for my course. So I don't feel like those episodes really um, showcased who I am as an individual. And yeah, it's lonely out here on the ones. So today I figured let's get to know each other. And by that, I mean, get to know me and we'll go from there. So I actually had a session today, so I did a little um, intro for a book club that's happening, and I went through this whole like 30-minute speech about you know my journey as an educator, the reality of Canadian history as we teach it now, and then the work that I'm doing in my classroom. And when I was finished with that session, I was like, wow, like that actually would have made a really good podcast. So here we are repeating that session. Um, but I'm doing it for y'all. So for those of you who are in that session and you are really excited today to tune in, I'm so sorry because you are going to hear exactly what you already heard. Um, but for those of you who are new, um, those of you who just started following me on Instagram, because I'm guessing that's how you found me, um, this will be a nice kind of intro to who I am as an educator and as a person things that I actually wanted to point out or highlight, I guess, before we begin, there is some kind of weird rumor floating around that I'm a really nice person. And I think that is hilarious. Um, I think I'm a dry person. I think I'm sarcastic. I think my students would say the same thing. But um, it's funny, the messages that I've been getting recently, and like even friends sharing with me what their friends are saying, like, she's so nice. And I'm like, Oh, man, you're in for a rude awakening. (laughs) Um, So yeah, like, Again, I hope that you're not here uh, because you think I'm nice and that I'm going to sugarcoat everything for you and make it all, you know, rainbows and unicorns because the work is real and I'll call you out on it. So just just know, like, be aware that I'm human and I have human emotions. So sometimes I am feeling very friendly. Sometimes I'm not feeling so friendly. Sometimes I'm feeling spicy. Um And I got stuff to say. So be aware of that if you're going to, you know, keep following along and don't be disappointed um, when you see all of the sides of me. So that's just the little that's the precursor to all of this. But let's jump in, shall we? My journey as an educator. 
So funny enough, I never wanted to be a teacher. And again, if you've listened to teachers like us, um, I've gone through that. I had zero um, love for teaching. I didn't see teachers as really anything special. Like, I didn't feel like it was a really cool job to have or something I ever wanted to do. Um, In elementary school, I had a solid um, school experience, I would say. Nothing was really out of the ordinary. But I did notice that into my middle school years, things started to get weird. Um, I started to... um, I don't know if it's necessarily... Actually, that's a lot. I guess I started to get a reputation as being loud and outspoken and, you know, unwilling to just allow um, teachers to say things to me that I didn't think were um, right, I guess, for lack of a better word. Or, you know, if I felt slighted, I was the the kid in your class that was definitely going to let you know um, that I didn't appreciate what you said and that you know, you had some learning to do. And for those of you who know me as a person now, you're like, ah, makes sense. Um, So I really just um, went through school, again, started to get a sour taste in my mouth uh, around grade six and seven. I had a couple of teachers who were just super, you know, wanted a quiet student. And I was just not that student. Um, I actually remember one time in class having a teacher say to me, so we had like this uh, popcorn day. And so they gave us like all popcorn at lunch. And it was like really cool. This is obviously an elementary school. And after lunch, um, we were told to put it in our cubbies or our lockers. I can't remember if we had lockers or cubbies. But in any case, we were told to leave the popcorn outside of the classroom, which I did. So we come into class and, you know, after you eat popcorn, you probably have like kernels and stuff stuck in your teeth. So you're likely like sitting there in class, picking them out of your teeth, like with your tongue and just doing weird things with your mouth. So I think I was doing something along the lines of that. And my teacher said to me, like, I told you to leave the popcorn outside. And I was like, "Okay, I did. And she's like, no, you didn't. And she's literally telling me what I (laughs) like what I'm doing when I already knew what I did. And I was like, no, like I actually left it outside. And she goes, I can see you chewing. And I'm like, I'm not chewing. And then she goes, it must be my eyes. And I go, yeah, it must be. (laughs) Oh, my goodness. I got sent out of class for that one. Um, (laughs) But but when I look back, I'm like, yo, what do you want from me? Like, what was I supposed to do in that moment? I had a teacher who, again, before this, we had already had multiple instances and I knew she didn't like me like I felt it as a student and even as you know someone who was a good student in terms of grades like again I I was an A student um I she just I could feel that she didn't like me and so I was very aware of that kind of going through my schooling and as an empath I'm very aware of um, other people's feelings, their their changes in feelings, especially as it pertains to our interactions or our relationships with each other. So, again, did not have had some moments with teachers that I was just like, forget this. Um, I mentioned too before that I went to um, schools in high social risk index areas. 
that means there's usually um, like high um, either there's a lot of things that contribute to social risk index, including like immigration status. So like if you have a lot of immigrants in your town, um, employment rates. So um, people who are most likely to be like either in a lower income or unemployed. Um, There's again, there's a lot of things you'll have to look it up. But I went from Rexdale to Malton and had a teacher that told me that Um, in grade eight because he was like I want you to get out like I want you to be successful and if you stay here you know Malton is one big toilet and you're going to be flushed down with the rest of them if you stay and so it was again that that view that everyone and when I looked around me there were only black and brown students really for the most part I think we had a sprinkling of white kids um, in my grade eight uh, like the the middle school that I went to for grade eight And so it's telling, right? Like that teacher obviously had bias already and I was aware of it. Students were aware of it. And I, again, internalized more of that. In high school, I moved to uh, Brampton. I went to a school in Caledon, which is uh, primarily white. The social risk index for there is very, very low. Um, And... It was a different experience for me. Again, I would say that I had teachers who definitely cared about me, but I was very aware of my blackness in that environment. And I don't think I don't think my peers and by my peers, I mean, my non-black peers realized how much of an impact um, going to this primarily or predominantly white school um, had on me like I again I have so many stories but I remember um, starting in grade nine and obviously having one way of dressing coming from you know a school that was you know deemed like we were in an area that was in the hood so coming from that style of dress to coming into again American Eagle Aeropostal um, type school and I I remember trying to fit in so badly that like over the Christmas break, I was like, hey, I now have to get a bunch of American Eagle um, clothes. And the funny thing is, the only reason I remember this story is because uh, my newfound cousin, Gary Gray Jr., you don't have to follow him on Instagram, um, actually mentioned this on his story a couple of days ago. And so over the break, I was like, I'm going to get a ton of American Eagle clothes and Birkenstocks and I'm going to fit right into this school. And obviously, you know, as a grade nine, as a a 14 year old, I probably said it to quite a few people like, don't worry, I'm going to update my wardrobe and like it won't be a thing and came back over the break and didn't have a bunch of American Eagle. Why? Because American Eagle was really expensive and that wasn't in the budget for, you know, the life that I was living at that point. So I was very aware when people were like, I thought you said you were going to get American Eagle and I didn't. And I always remember feeling very eager to fit in um, with my white peers. And again, this is funny how I met my husband, who I usually refer to as Daddy Bear. Um, And again, you'll have to go through my Instagram and and figure out who everyone is. But with Daddy Bear, um, we were, you know one of like a dozen black kids. And so the black kids always kind of congregated at this one locker. And that's how we met. That's how, 
you know, one of my best friends now. That's how we met. And again, or that's a lie. We didn't meet there, but again, all the black kids kind of congregated together and we formed like this little bond. And the funny thing is, is that the only thing that we really had in common was our blackness because outside of each other, we had different white groups of friends. So again, just really interesting dynamics that you have to navigate as a black student. So moving through there, um, I studied vocal music. I was part of a regional arts program. And a lot of people upon graduation were like, okay, I'm going to university for music. I'm going to keep studying music. And I was like, ew, no, I'm definitely not studying music because the only thing I can be is a teacher. And who wants to be a teacher? Because teachers suck. That's not happening. Um, And so I ended up going to university for media studies with an area of emphasis in public relations. I did four years of that and realized that I didn't want to sit in an office because public relations is much like um, being a lawyer in the sense that you see all the glitz and glam of it on TV and you see all of those things. But it's really like when you put the actual job uh, or when you're doing the actual work of the job, it's it's office work. It's all paperwork. And I hated it. And I was like, this is not me. So I started looking into other things. I looked into a master's. I ended up not getting into that program that I applied to um, and decided to actually uh, apply for a job at my alma mater doing recruitment and admissions. And I ended up going around to all the high schools. And I was that person like at the table saying, come to my university. We're awesome. Um, I have stories about that job, too, that I'll share. But that's another podcast for another day. Um And so when I was doing that job, I got to speak to a lot of high school students and hearing about their high school experiences was so jarring for me because I heard a lot of stories that sounded familiar to my own, uh, familiar to friends of mine, and it really um, centered around streaming. There was so much streaming going on for black students, even when I was doing this job in, oh goodness, when was it? 2009, I want to say. Um... So even in 2009, we were seeing so much streaming, which is a big concern now with our board um, in 2020. So it really just goes to show you that not much has changed. Um, And it's actually it's it's really scary. So after that, I started talking to my then aunt and I was like, I don't know what to do. And she was like, why don't you consider teaching like everything that you're describing, like as I started to unpack what I liked about my job and where I saw myself, she was like, it sounds like teaching would be really good for you. So I applied to teacher's college, um, got in and ended up, uh, again, going to teacher's college. It was a one year program. I was like, cool. Um, and I remember even in teacher's college sitting around peers and being like, you're going to be a teacher. And I, I'm sorry, because I guarantee you some of them are listening now, but that's what I thought. I was like, no, you're not ready to be a teacher. And that's because traditionally teachers are your type A personalities who did really well in school. And because they did really well in school are so willing to pass that information off um, to everybody else. They want to show everybody what they know. I was more of a character and always considered myself more charming than 
smart. Yes, I did well in school, but I always felt like I did well in school because I could befriend my teachers or so I thought, like the ones that I was really good with and and charm them, so to speak. Again, I think later on I would realize that that maybe wasn't the case so much, but that was my thought um, kind of going in. When I went into teacher's college, because I went in with a media studies degree, I had zero teachables. That means I was going in to teach um, at the primary junior level, which is anywhere from grade one to grade six. First of all, that's my nightmare. I cannot stand little kids. And yes, I am a mom. I have a seven-year-old, a five-year-old, and a three-year-old. But like, I'm not gonna lie to you. It is not my favorite stage of development for a child. I am definitely a middle or a high school kind of teacher. So um, immediately upon graduation, I upgraded and ended up with primary, junior, and intermediate. So able to teach up until grade 10 and ended up getting a job in a middle school. Um, I will say that throughout my education, so from, let's say, kindergarten all the way up until now, uh, finishing up my master's and heading into my PhD, I have had one black teacher, which was my grade 11 biology teacher, who actually ended up uh, quitting teaching (laughs) shortly after. So again, there remains a lack of diversity in teaching, and that really contributes to the way um, education is developed and the way students receive education and the type of things that are prioritized. Prioritized. So I got a job shortly after graduation because I got my French qualifications um, that pretty much I got in just before all of the weird stuff happened with like changing hiring practices and whatever. So I got a job uh, the February after I graduated. I got an LTO, so a long-term position. And the grade eights I had that year were the most interesting group of students that I've ever met. Like till this day of all the, the cohorts that I've taught, that grade eight group, there was something so real and gritty about their lives. Um, like, I don't I don't want to go into specifics about my students, but they were carrying a lot in their invisible backpack. And they showed me like what it means to really be a teacher. I had students who, again, would not work in any other class. They were throwing like recycling bins and chairs and skipping class. And I had kids who would literally only come to my class or come to my class at lunch, um, come to my class whenever they had a moment and just say like, you know, you're the only person I can talk to. And that was that was huge for me. Like that to me was teaching. It was showing them that no, we're not all the same and that there are people who care about you and that if you just, you know, if you stick around here, good things will happen. And so I really did fall in love with teaching that year. But when I moved like right after at the end of the year, it was time for, you know, positions to be released. And as a long-term occasional teacher, all I wanted was a contract. The school that I was at didn't have any openings at the time. So I moved schools that year and um, went to a school, which I will not name, and hated it. Like, I was pregnant with Sister Bear, that's my daughter, um, and I cried every day. And at that time, our planning times were 75 minutes long. I would literally cry 
on the floor of my portable for 75 minutes, like on the phone with Daddy Bear. Like, I hate it here. I never want to do this job again. It sucks. Like, the the students are mean to me. The staff is mean. Nobody says hi in the hallway. It was just a miserable uh, time. And so every mat leave I had, right, I had three mat leaves in total. I was like, okay, that's it. I'm leaving here. Like, I can't teach anymore. Teaching is not for me. Um, After having that job in that school, and again, I will say that it was a very, it was a lower um, social risk index school. So a lot more privilege existed in that space. And I felt like students um, and their parents were looking at me like I was their mammy. Like I could not shake that feeling of, you know, people looking at me like I was their servant or like I was there to to not do my actual job, but to to just provide a service. And it was really disheartening because that's not why uh, people get into teaching. So in any case, um, one that year made me doubt my abilities as a teacher. I was like, I'm actually not good at this. I don't like students. I don't like anybody. I'm quitting. And so I spent all of my mat leaves trying different jobs to find a way to get out of teaching. Because I was like, if I can just find something that will allow me to stay home, I'm going to take it. And by my third mat leave, I'd gotten it right. So I started a business. Um, and I was running mom and baby programs, toddler programs um, for our city and really um, watching my city start to flourish and grow and, you know, exposing all of the great things that my city had to offer, because often it is looked at as like kind of like how my teacher said about Malton, like a big toilet. I feel like my city gets that rap too sometimes. And so I really wanted to showcase, you know, the awesome things that were happening. And it was really successful. Um, And then it wasn't. (laughs) And then I realized, you know what, I'm not loving this as much as I thought. And then I got a call from uh, my principal saying, you know what, next year is my last year. And so like, hey, are you coming back? Because it would be great. Like, I love working with you. And I was like, well, I have to come back now, don't I? Because when I say that this person, this principal is literally the best principal, one of the best people I have ever known, like, just a Adore this person to bits and pieces. And so I went back. And by this point, I had already started um, this kind of movement towards embracing, um, not embracing, but, you know, by that point, we had already had all the stuff with uh, Trayvon Martin happen. I think that happened when I was pregnant with Sister Bear. Um, and so it all kind of happened around the time I started having kids. I really started seeing the world differently. I started to see how it would impact my children. And that's really when my my mind flipped and the the passion for social justice really came out. Like, obviously, I had always had a strong voice, but... It wasn't about me anymore and tacking on, you know, the experiences that I had with my students over the years and my own children. It just everything kind of came together at once. So when I went back to work, I remember coming back and saying, like, I walk into the office and I go right to my principal's office and I'm like, hey, I got these posters. They're going up in my room like cool, right? 
And I was waiting for my principal to be like, no, you cannot because we're going to have angry parents. But I had like a bunch of like Black Lives Matter, Pride, refugees, like all these like refugees matter, like just, you know, a whole bunch of like important things that I needed my students to know and to understand. And my principal was like, yo, go for it. Like, I believe in you. I know you know what you're doing. I know you can scaffold this for students so that they understand. And my principal was fully supportive. And so I dove in head first um, when I got back to work and just flooded our space with social justice, everything. And it really did seem to work out well. And I was posting a few things on Instagram at the time, but, you know, really wasn't super engaging. Like I was doing stuff on my stories every day, showing everyone like, oh, look at the stuff, look at my classroom. Here's what we're doing in our room. And truthfully, um, not much was happen- happening. I think at that time I maybe had 5,000 followers and it stuck that way um, for at least two, three years, whatever it was. And then... I don't even know what happened. Um, I, oh, I know what happened. Okay. So I hit about 7,500 doing like giveaways and stuff and like, you know, just having random people follow me, which I realize is not worth it. Um, Hit 10K with kind of the same thing, like posting more books and things like that. And then everything happened with um, this kind of, George Floyd was murdered and things really shifted. And I just wanted to put out some quick information about um, what anti-black racism is and what we're seeing here, because Andre and I I had already been doing the podcast. um, But again, we weren't getting that many listeners. So everything that I was saying in the podcasts was getting lost in the podcast. Um, So I put a little bit of what I had been saying just into a quick post on Instagram. And because we had that blackout Tuesday where everyone, um, you know, blacked themselves out and then started amplifying for that one week. Thanks a lot. We'd like to see more of it. Um, People started sharing my anti-black racism posts. And then I was like, okay, cool. Started to get more followers. And then as I was kind of immersed in this world, I was watching the heavy American presence of information. And It's not that I didn't want to hear about the U.S., but it's that the U.S. information is everywhere. When we talk about privilege, Americans tend not to realize that they have privilege just being American because their information is front and center. It's the information that is always available for us. On Canadian TV, we have Canadian news stations, but we have a ton of American news stations as well. And so we get our information and their information. We learn American history and Canadian history. When you learn about Black history, think about the Black history that you've learned as a Canadian. You have learned American Black history. Canadians can tell you all about civil rights. They can tell you about the Underground Railroad from an American perspective. Like, I don't even think people know about the Canadian stops on the Underground Railroad. It's so disheartening. And so I just started like this little series called... At the time, it was historically speaking. I just kind of like threw a name together. Didn't think it was going to be a thing. Just want to throw it up on Instagram and give people some information. That started to catch fire a little bit. And from there, it just started to grow. 
And so now we're here with this podcast, with Historically Speaking as its own little brand. And I'm really hoping that the next couple of episodes shed light on, you know, the stories of our past. And um, I obviously want to highlight Canadian perspectives because that's where we are. Um, Oh, that's where I am. And that's what's missing. But this podcast is not just for Canadians. It is it's for everyone. I want people to have a global perspective on the stories of our past. So if you're going to talk um, about the Loving family, then I want you to talk about Ira Johnson and Isabel Jones. Um, if you're going to talk about Rosa Parks, I want you to talk about Viola Desmond. Like there are parallels in our stories and our histories are so interlinked as Americans and Canadians that they really do need to be told side by side. And so that's what I'm hoping to do here. Um, I was going to go into the reality of Canadian history as we teach it now and how to do the work in your classroom, but I think I'm going to save those for the next episode. So thank you for listening. Um, I will catch you on the next one and peace out. (laughs) We really just spent 30 minutes talking about me. And truthfully, I don't know if it was disjointed or not, but that's how it goes. My stories, my way. (laughs) Get me off this mic.